Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. As the 2019-2020 Premier League season kicks off, we'll be here with you twice a week for all the best reaction and analysis for what promises to be another exhilarating campaign. Joining us in the studio today is Alison Rudd and James Gearbrandt. Later on, we'll be looking ahead to this season's Champions League. But first... We have to talk about VAR. Will it enhance the game or will it slow it down? Now, it's been proven statistically to increase the percentage of correct decisions, but is it worth it if it is at the detriment to the flow of the game and the fan experience? It is now going to be used in the Premier League this season. They've done all their testing. They're all very happy, so we've got to get used to it. Alison, are you looking forward to it? Well, I went down to Stockley Park, which is uh, the hub for all all the VAR. Big room, big horse-shaped room, loads of monitors, every match with people glued to their various screens and a green button and a red button in front of them. And I arrived there very cynical about VAR. I don't think it should exist. I don't like it in principle. But I can't just say that. So over the past two years, I've written pieces explaining all my little bugbears and the potential pitfalls and so on. And when I got to Stockley Park, it turns out they've ad- they're at least trying to address them all. And I have to give them credit for that. So, for example, I think the referee review area, that little black box, is a nasty little thing and has no, no place in the game. Really slows the game down if the referee has to stride over to it and then it's utterly ridiculous for the referee to make a, anything other than the decision they want to make in the booth anyway with everyone watching them review. He's, he or she is only there because they know they've made a mistake. It's mm. a ridiculous thing. So, you know, in mid-rant at Stockley Park and they go, yeah, 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 we know we know that. We don't like it either. We we. we we want that used absolute bare minimum. We, you know, be really happy if if we if we never see the referee review area being used. We want a really high bar that it's really only when something has gone catastrophically wrong that they're going to interfere. They don't. They just want it to be so that at the end of a match, it's just not a real blooper that has has ended up with the points going the wrong way. Um, and so they showed us lots and lots of examples of of decisions where. People would have said last season, "No, oh, if only there'd been VAR, that would, you know, that travesty would never have happened." But they're saying, "Well, actually, it would have happened because, for example, the the Man City Liverpool game, which decided the title, Vincent Company, uh, very bad challenge in in sort of opening ten minutes or so, uh, a yellow card was issued. They all accepted, all the referees there accepted that that could easily have been a red, but it wasn't." A ridiculous decision. You could argue that it was just a caution, and so, so it wasn't clear and the, obvious. In, in, but it's, you know, people people say, "Oh, clear and obvious," but it actually does have some meaning. It's mm. got it's got to, mm. that has to have some meaning, or VAR will be absolutely rubbish. And so I was reassured that that would not be overturned, and that the, that you would not see the referee having to stride over to the the monitor and on the touchline to review that because as long as you can make a case for what the referee has done as being adequate because it's still the, the, the VAR is still one other human being it's still another referee with a point of view mm. you're, all you're trying to do is is just seriously make sure and it's only the terrible things and they have learned also the Premier League they have learned from all the mistakes at the Women's World Cup and abroad where there's been fans getting very angry lack of information it won't be perfect, but I, I am I am heartened that 
they are aware of, of, of why people dislike the concept and they're going to try and make sure that the flow of the game is the same and they are going to give fans some, not a lot, but some information as to what's going on so they don't feel completely alienated. Because it is a bit ironic that you, you're paying the ticket to go to the match and you see less than the person sat at home. Mm. Yes, very true. Uh, and I'm, I'm like you as well. I, I've been to Stockley Park. I've done that um, that day there. It was fascinating and I did come away with, with more respect for the referees as a result of it. But like you saying, uh, I felt in particular the Women's World Cup, every time a decision was reviewed, you knew it was going to be overturned straight away because... Why else are you being told, go and look at the screen? It's very it's very rare that a referee is going to turn around and go, I disagree with you, I'm going to stick with my, my first viewpoint. They just look viewpoint. like they're being arrogant. Well, they? exactly. Yeah. So I, I completely understand that. Um, James, how about you? What's your feeling on, on VAR now that it is here to stay? I, I've been a little bit on the, sort of, on the opposite journey to Alison. I was someone who was very, very much in favour of VAR in principle, but the more I see it in action and, you know, Frankly, the genius out of the bottle now. We're not going to go back to a VAR-less world. But the more I see it in action, the more I dislike it, actually. Mm. I think everyone would agree it was terrible at the Women's World Cup. It was just... It was so badly used. And I think, as you alluded to, it seemed like every single goal or every single you know match-defining instant would be checked. And I just think that's such a bad way of doing it but I I feel more generally very uneasy about the fact that in in football obviously the goal in football is a really kind of unique and unusual thing because it's that the instances are are so rare compared to you know a scoring event in other sports and that kind of unconditional explosion of joy you get when you have a goal with VAR, it's it, it's just slight, slightly lessened, slightly mediated. It becomes conditional because you're not 100... You know, it's like, could it be, you know, could it be overturned? So that's why I think particularly with the type of implementation we saw with the Women's World Cup, it, it really does kind of suck some of the joy out of the game. I, I'm also kind of... Uh, I'm slightly uneasy about what, what Alison talks about, this idea that exactly the same thing, funnily enough, was said in cricket when the decision review system was introduced, just for howlers. But it's very, very difficult to have a system that's just for howlers because if you have a system that's in place to get some decisions correct, the temptation to get all decisions correct, it's almost irresistible. Mm. Uh, it's almost mm. impossible to resist. And... The example Alison used, you, you know, even if you say cl- clear and obvious, there will always be a grey area. It's always on a spectrum. It's not like you have like, a, you know, the world is not going to agree on which decisions are clear and obvious or not. The example that Alison uh, used, the one of the Vincent Company red card that was not given as a red card, a lot of people would categorise that as a clear and obvious mistake. Not me. Well, no, sure, but... There you go, I'm proving your point now. <laughs> um, my personal view is that the absolute best way to uh, imp- operate VAR and to get it closer to, I think, what we probably... What I think general consensus most people would want is, a, you know, a system where it's used quite sparingly and only to correct really, you know, the more obvious end of, of the spectrum of mistakes... My personal view is that it should be uh, run according to a challenge system, as it is in other sports where you have a finite number of referrals, maybe one a game, possibly two. I think I would probably just err on the side of having one per team a game. And I think that way you wouldn't have the endless stoppages, but, you know, 
decision, and obviously you retain your view if you're correct and all that sort of thing, but you wouldn't have the end of stoppages that way, but you also wouldn't have dreadful decisions going, not going overturned, if you see what I mean. Mm. For me, I think that's that's the way forward, but yeah, I, I think... I think it'll be interesting to see to see how it goes this season. I, I, it probably won't be as bad as it was in the Women's World Cup, but I remain kind of, I remain very much an agnostic. But at least the Premier League acknowledge it was used poorly at the Women's World yeah, Cup. Yeah, that... And, and, and they don't want it to be like that. Yes, that, that heartens me that somewhat. Heartening. Yeah, for sure. Um, Gregor, as the only person here that's played the game... You... <coughs> <laughs> I should say in the, in the men's game, you're quite right, Alison. And of course, Alison, you're a qualified referee, so you, you have even more valid reasons Absolutely. to be talking about all of this. But um, as the only member here who's played the men's game, Gregor, would you have welcomed this in your time playing? I think I think the point that Alison made at the start is really that just comes down that's the heart of the matter, the clear and obvious. It has to be a clangor. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the the example you gave about Vincent Company there, I think I am a defender. I'll, I'll, I'll say that, so I'm, perhaps I'm biased. I don't think that was a red card. I think a lot of footballers would possibly say the same, maybe, maybe only defenders. But <laughs> I think it's impossible, something like that, this really is impossible to say. It's... All, all, all VAR has done in a, in a sense is opened up with the freeze frame slow motions a whole new layer of subjectivity, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just taken to the nth degree. So I think it has to be a clang. I mean, James's, James's idea about, you know, only having so many uh, attempts is, is, is interesting, but I think, you know, would there be time to sort of pause for a moment and think about whether you were going to take one of your one of your yeah, I suppose that would be tricky. <laughs> um do you, like, I, I, like I, in I, nfl do you throw the yellow, I, don't, I, yellow don't, I, I must say i don't see that being a huge problem it, you know it, it works in other sport i mean yeah give them a flag or whatever mm. you know mm. i don't see that being a huge problem but. i think you know one of the things people have raised is fear about there being a lot more penalties but i think if you look at the countries that have already adopted it uh Serie A and the bundesliga they fell um and they went up very marginally in La Liga and, and League One, so I don't. Uh, it's going to slow down the game. It's going to change the game. But um, I think as long as the Premier League kind of have a hold on it and 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 have learned from the the sort of the early sort of flaws in the implementation, then it, it's going to going to get closer to the sort of the the best uh, decision, which is ultimately what. All of us want, I think. Well, at the time of this recording, the transfer window is still ongoing. Thursday at five o'clock, it shuts for both the Premier League and the Championship. So we thought we'd have a little discussion about some of the dealings that have already been done and perhaps focus on a couple of clubs uh, in particular. And, and I'm going to come to um, to you, Alison, on Everton and how you see them well-placed. They've brought in Andre Gomez. Uh, Fabian Delph has also come in, as has... a. Uh, Moyes Ken from Juventus. They've lost Idrissa Gay. He's gone to, to PSG. Now, a lot of people are, are bigging up Everton after sort of the way they finished last season and the expectation now that is placed on Marco Silva and the money that he's spent. How do you see Everton getting on with these new faces? Uh, there are good. There are reasons for bigging up Everton, I think. Um, one of them is their transfer activity because it proves that they have faith in Marco Silva. You don't back a manager for a second season with 
that sort of imagination and money and not feel that you've seen something in the way he he's run the team that you want to really invest in emotionally as well as practically and financially. So I think if I was an Everton supporter, I'd be really, really, you know, pleased by that. But I'm slightly baffled by Idrissa Gay because I think he was one of the best midfielders in the land. I don't, I don't know why you completely, let him go. Completely irreplaceable, in my opinion. Very strange you'll to never, let him go. You'll never replace what Idrissa Gay offers in terms of... If, if Ngolo Kante didn't, didn't exist, we'd just be banging on about how amazing Idrissa Gay is. And, oh, is he two players in one? Because, but yeah. because Kante's already stolen that moniker, we don't. But, yeah, so that that, that is peculiar. What, are you baffled that they let him go? Or well, perhaps another go, Premier League team go. didn't go for him? Well, he seemed to go very easily. Yeah. I mean, who knows behind the scenes what his agent was telling him, but it's just very strange and battle to keep him. I think he's the kind of player that it, it was the kind of situation where I guess clubs kind of feel like they almost, they sort of almost feel like they have to sell because he's a relatively old player and obviously PSG came in with a huge amount of, you know, a, a, a very hefty... 29, bit. 30 in September. Okay, there you go. He's a player, you know, towards the end of his career on the downslope and... It was a big, you know, it was a big money offer. So I guess in some ways it, it, it's the kind of transfer that clubs feel makes a lot of sense because you get a lot of money and you can reinvest it in someone that's potentially, you know, potentially younger with mm. a lot of upside. The trouble is that Idrissa Gay is so irreplaceable in terms of what he offers in, in tackles and, you know, ball winning, basically, that I feel, you know, I think it would be really hard for them to replace what, what he offers. And, and obviously... That all that has knock on effect to the rest of the team because Andre Gomez who had a really good season last season, where he didn't really have to do so much of the ball winning, even though he was playing in the double pivot. Now he might have to do a little bit more of that, and he sort of you know will that compromise the attacking part of his game? So, yeah, big loss in my opinion. But yeah. Everton really needed a striker, and they yeah. bought one, and that's maybe offsets it slightly. I think Moise Ken coming in from Juventus. Um, what about West Ham? Have they done good business, James? I do like West Ham summer business. Yes, I must say, I think it, it it's it's quite it's quite exciting. I think I think the signing of uh, Sebastian Aller from Eintracht Frankfurt is uh, a, a genuinely really exciting signing of a, a, a young player who was one of the real breakout stars of European football last season. Um, last season, he averaged a goal or assist every ninety point nine minutes. In Europe's top five leagues, only Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, Paco Alcacer, Cavani, Dries Mertens, Aguero and Yago Aspas were involved in a goal more frequently. Mm-hmm. So, and and his kind of, you know, his expected goals and, and, and everything suggests that that was built on pretty solid foundations. He's a, he's a tall player and he's very good in the air, but he's not necessarily, he's not one dimensional. He's not purely a score of headers very very good at holding the ball up and bringing his teammates into play dropping between the lines and and all the sort of things that you would want from a sort of modern center forward so i feel that's a very exciting signing and they, they've also signed pablo fornals from villarreal who had a, a a bit of a down season last season because partly because villarreal was just having a poor season but the season before last was actually the leading assister in la liga um so I feel that that's pretty exciting business, personally, and, and obviously um, they have, you know, that could dovetail nicely with um, the, their existing players, Philippe Anderson, um, obviously they're going to play on the left, maybe Yomalenko will play on the right, or, or Mikel Antonio. Lanzini. Uh, Lanzini, of course, as well. 
I mean, I, I feel that's quite exciting. I, I'm not as excited about West Ham's defence. I, I feel that maybe they're Achilles heel, but I, I think they could be pretty good to watch this season. Also, very importantly about West Ham is if they have a storming start and maybe one game in particular and Haller is at the heart of it all. Someone comes up with the headline, the Haller Orchestra. It's going to be the first. <laughs> it, 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 it won't be a tabloid. There. I don't think it'll be a tabloid. <laughs> but I like that. Good thinking. Um, let's talk about uh, some of the breakthrough stars that we'll be talking about uh, come May. We've, in our previous podcast, talked about the transfer embargo that is uh, ongoing at uh, Chelsea. Does that mean we're finally going to get to see some of these 3,000 youngsters, as you pointed out, <laughs> Alison? <laughs> three and a half thousand. Three and a half, sorry. Sorry, three and a half thousand youngsters that they have. Uh, obviously, we know that Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Rhys James have done particularly well on their, their loan spells. Do we see them perhaps featuring more regularly for, for Chelsea? I don't think we would. If Sarri was still there, no, we wouldn't. Mm. He'd just make sure he played the same 11 to 13 every week and that would be that. But I think... I think it's just it's just fallen into place at Chelsea that they've or maybe maybe it hasn't fallen into place. I think it's part of the reason why they did appoint Frank Lampard was they felt he was somebody that could and wanted to make use of the plethora of young talent available and somebody who had the imagination to see what those players have done on loan and work out how they could then fit into the Chelsea system. And I just I you know I know a lot of Chelsea fans because I live in West London. And they are they are gasping to see these young players given a chance at the club. They're tired. They're tired of the narrative of Chelsea hoovering up all all the youngsters, making it a highly competitive academy system, but but very few ever getting the chance to come. I mean, just look at Callum Hudson Odoi. The way he partly single handedly really undermines Sarri because Sarri was saying, well, he's you know, he's not ready. To, I can't give him as many games as the fans want, but the fans won. Mm. And he did he did change his mind a bit, sorry, because he knew he was he was getting booed partly because he wasn't giving Hudson Adore enough time. They want to see people who've come through the academy system be given a chance. You know, they don't have John Terry there anymore. They don't have Frank Lampard on though. He didn't come to him in the academy, but he was there long enough for them to form a relationship with him. They want people who who they can say he's one of ours. And if they, if we do have if we do own people who are one of ours, why can't we see them at Stamford Bridge? So I think I think the answer to your question, we will see them. And I think with Frank Lampard, they've got the best chance they would have under most managers of actually doing something good. Mm. Well, uh, so many people are excited to see what Mason Mount could do. Uh, and Gregor, I know you you follow the EFL, so you would have seen him, no doubt, mm-hmm. in the championship at, at Derby and how he got on in that loan spell. Can he make the step up into the Premier League? I think he can. I think the only question mark is if he can make the step into an elite Premier League team, you know, a team who's challenging for the top four. I think that's really the, the same with all of them. I think Rhys James, huge talent. I think he... He was he, man of the match every week uh, at Wigan. He's got he's got a, a chance of, of being a regular for Chelsea, yeah, in the coming years. Obviously, Aspilicueta, someone's going to be hard to move out of the team. Um, but I think all of them are probably Premier League players. You just don't know whether they're... they're when they step into that environment of a team who's challenging for, or hopefully challenging for uh, Champions League spots and, well, titles. They want to be challenging for, for the league titles um, and playing in the Champions League, whether they're quite good enough for that. And we won't know until, until they're given the opportunity, basically. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. 
Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. What about Manchester United? Mason Greenwood, um, what, just 17. So uh, I think he turns 18 in a couple of months' time. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has uh, spoken about him, says he's more than likely going to feature uh, quite heavily, I think, this season. Do you know much about him, Anthony? Well, I was at um, the last game of the season at uh, Old Trafford when they lost to Cardiff and there was this lap of honour and the only player that got any applause was Mason Greenwood and he's the only player that got any praise from the manager afterwards as well. And he didn't even play that well. He missed quite a lot of chances. And I was thinking, oh, I've been told he's good in the air and he was putting headers wide and he really should have done better. But I think he was slightly nervous because it must be just as nerve-wracking knowing you're that young and it's a big moment but the crowd already expecting you to or expecting you to be the best player on the pitch it was a very strange strange one actually and uh there's so much goodwill towards him uh, amongst his fellow pros there Solskjaer absolutely adores him he loves his attitude and given the problems that they've had at uh Manchester United I think I think Solskjaer feels he has to at least in part build the team around that sort of young innocent energy that isn't tainted by all the problems that have been there before someone is committed to the club who you know uh, wears the shirt with pride and has talent that they can work with so I think I actually do think we, it's not just um you know shallow talking I think I think we will see a lot of him and, and although he did miss a lot of chances he was getting to them so and that's all any manager will ever say about a striker is they just want them to be in the right position so he could he could be a good breakout star I think uh, James, obviously, um, Manchester United have also brought in Aaron Wembasaka. They've got Daniel James as well, and as so as Alison has sort of pointed out already, they're kind of going down this younger route with the talent they're bringing through. And and do you think they can all handle that? They're not going to be overawed by that by playing for that red shirt at Old Trafford. I think we're at the stage where the last few seasons have really kind of have, have sort of eroded some of that mystique and I, and I don't mean that kind of well obviously I, I I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing for the Manchester United of, of this season because I don't think you know I, I don't think it, it it's all that you know awing and experience to to come into this team this mm. is a, a team that with the exception of one very strong spell of form under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer last season has been underperforming for for probably two or three seasons now. Um, I I think Aaron Wambasaka is absolutely you know capable of coming into this team. I don't you know I think he's one of the best, yeah. one of the best right backs, if not the best right back in the Premier League last season. Uh, particularly defensively, I think he's an outstanding player, and I don't think, I I don't think there will be any kind of issues with him being overawed. 
Um, Daniel James is a player I've not, honestly, have not seen so much of. I'm, He's I'm a s- rocket. That's well, the best way to describe him. Absolutely. Uh, I'm slightly confused by the sort of by the need for another another left-sided player, given that they they already have Martial and Rashford. But um, as I say, I I expect one Masaka to be to be a success. And Phil Foden, um, I think uh, Pep Guardiola said that he is the best talent I have ever seen. And we have obviously in his career so far at Manchester City sort of seen him come in and out of the team. He's not been a regular starter, um, but no doubt learning from the likes of David Silva, Bernardo Silva. Um, do you think he's going to get more of an opportunity this season, Gregor? It's hard to see how, mm. really. Um, I think three Premier League starts last season. In some big games, you have to say, he played against uh, Spurs and Leicester in that sort of vital running where he won 14 games in a row, I think, to secure the title. Um, so Guardiola clearly does, his trust in him is growing, evidently, but he's got to get past two of the, the best creative midfield forces that there is in, in Europe, really, and, and Kevin De Bruyne and, and David Silva. Um He's not going to do that. I don't think really he's... If Guardiola's going to rotate the the team, he, he, uh, and he's fighting on many fronts again this season, um, I'm sure he will get some game time, but he's he's without... There was even... De, De Bruyne missed so much football last season and he's still... Foden only got three starts. So um, I think he could be looking at another season that's largely frustrating apart from Cup and European football. But so in that sense, should he be looking to to play somewhere else, or is it best to stay put and learn from those players that has been mentioned? I think at the moment it's fine for him to stay stay put and learn because he's learning from, as we said, the, to some of the best best players in his position really in Europe, and he's got Pep Guardiola, who's the best coach in Europe, um, to learn from as well. Uh, it's just how long this you let this kind of run on for it. He's, he's very young. What, just He's 19, is he? We're asking a lot. It's because he's such a talent that people say he could play in, in probably any other Premier League team. Um, more often, certainly. So we, we want to see him, and I think a lot of people want to see him because they want to see him step into the England team like so many other young prospects have recently. So I think it's fine to be patient, but perhaps... If he doesn't get more football this season, then he might have to look elsewhere. I want to look ahead to Europe and how English teams will fare. Do we think we could have another English winner after Liverpool's success over Spurs in Madrid? It is the one trophy that still eludes Manchester City, despite all that investment. Gregor, what's holding them back on the European stage, do you think? I'm not actually sure anything is holding them back. <laughs> I know that's maybe not the most exciting thing to say. I think Guardiola mentioned... Uh, in the build-up to the Community uh, Shield game, that you can't you can't put the Premier League on hold uh, for what could be you know seven or eight games in the season. To it, that's still his number one priority. And then when these games come around, it's it's up to him to to manage his squad to best succeed. And we've got to remember the margins were so fine last season. VAR, a friend VAR, came in to essentially decide the the game against Spurs. And Spurs played like a team possessed in that, that game as well, really, uh, especially defensively. So I don't think anything really is holding them back. I think um, you might perhaps see a little bit more rotation and it will depend how the league campaign unfurls. It was 
they had to chase Liverpool for, for much of the season last season, so they didn't have that option. De- depending on how the, the league campaign is is unfurling, uh, you might you might have that luxury this season. I think clearly City are absolutely good enough to win the Champions League. I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily argue with the opinion that they're the best team in Europe, and I don't think I don't think the players have particularly have a mental block with the Champions League. I think if anyone has a mental block with the Champions League, it's maybe Pep. And I say that as someone who thinks Pep is the best coach in the world, but we've seen him make some very odd kind of selection decisions, particularly in the knockout stages of the Champions League, really kind of sort of almost as if he's overthinking it. He's really mm. sort of overcomplicated his selections, needless funkiness sort of every single every single season. And I just wonder if he maybe sort of needs to rein that in this season. But I think they are absolutely good enough to win the Champions League. They're in the absolute top tier of contenders for me. Alison, they don't. They don't have um, the the reason their form in Europe doesn't match their form in the Premier League under Pep Guardiola is no one's scared of them in Europe. They have no European pedigree, and that matters a lot in European competition. That's one another reason that PSG can't quite get it because. Everyone just shrugs when they face PSG. There's a, well, they don't see their name on the trophy. You know, so what? It's about. It is about the stadium, the history, reputation, being able to lift your game, taking Europe seriously, uh, diving in and falling for the romance of it, making sure it's a priority at your club. I mean, you know, some 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 clubs just don't take just the Europe as, as annoying. They know they haven't got the resources and it stretches them. You just got to go for it wholeheartedly and the flip side's true I think in the Premier League too many teams look at the fixture list see that when they're playing Manchester City and they just assume that's one where they're it's almost not worth trying because they're not going to it's going to be a lot of effort not just to get beaten so you know a lot of teams roll over they're scared of City they just think they're amazing and what can we possibly do in the face of all that talent in Europe it's not the same they don't look at City and think what can we do they look at City and think well, other teams have done it. We can do it. Well, obviously, it was Liverpool that won the Champions League, beating Tottenham. Uh, a final that nobody would have predicted. But could either of them actually win it again you know, in Liverpool's... Um, talking from Liverpool's angle, or could Tottenham go on, one better and, and win it, Gregor? Uh, I think it's more likely that Liverpool uh, reach the final or, or win it again than, than Tottenham get to that stage again. I think... You know, I've already mentioned the 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 game against uh, Manchester City, and then obviously in Ajax, it was part of that crazy week of football that probably we'll never see the like of again um, with their with their late comeback. So really, it was you know there was some fortune in their journey to the to the final. Uh, but Liverpool, yeah, I mean they've got to be certainly right up there among the among the contenders. And I think there was quite a lot made of the four English teams making. Mm making it to the finals last season I think there's no doubt the Premier League's in the ascendancy and um, they've got some of the, the top coaches and, and talent in, in, in world football but um, I think below Liverpool and Man City it's much more uncertain I don't think there's anyone else that's ready to challenge in the Champions League certainly Europa League's a different matter I think quite easily we could be looking at another English team in, in that final well, we've got Arsenal, Manchester United and Wolves uh, in the Europa League. So 
who would you favour out of those three that could go on to win it, Alison? Probably Man United. Again, partly it's a cup is very important to them. I don't think Solskjaer believes he can win the title. I just think of those three, he'll have the resources to be able to juggle to think I might I might make I might make my mark in Europe actually. And they didn't do too bad last year. Not too bad. Not too bad. She said patronizingly. <laughs> uh, well, looking elsewhere in Europe, will we see a resurgence of Real Madrid and Barcelona? Zinedine Zidane back in control uh, at the Bernabeu and uh, Barcelona have brought in Antoine Griezmann, Frankie de Jong uh, as well. Could they be massive contenders this time around, James? I feel all is not all is not well at at, at Real Madrid. It it, it seems to me um, they is that Gareth Bale aside or including the issue there. I think it's kind of a bit of a side issue, but it, it's kind of indicative of the sort of general. And that's not only off the pitch, by the way. I mean, I, I think on the pitch, um, the team is not playing very well. Um, I know it's meaningless, but they they have not they look quite bad in pre-season the results have been terrible in pre-season if Zinedine Zidane has taught us one thing it's that we should never kind of write him off or, or doubt his abilities but I, I I feel unsure that he can have the same effect in his second spell as, as he did in his first so you're ruling out Real Madrid what about Barcelona I think they could do something obviously Lionel Messi has been promising to win this Champions League back after what how many years it's been since they last won it yeah, I I would put Barcelona up there, um, in yeah among the sort of among the main contenders. They they were not very far away last season, obviously. Yeah, I, I think they look <sighs> well placed to compete. Yeah, I think so. Um, Juventus, of course, brought Cristiano Ronaldo in last summer. Everyone, we I think we talked about it previously last season uh, about the fact they brought him in because they wanted to win the Champions League. They've now brought Matthias de Ligt in as well from Ajax for £77 million. Good business to bring him in. What a leader he is at such a young age as well. Um, Bringing him in with probably from the persuasion of Cristiano Ronaldo because we saw him speaking to him uh, when Juventus took on Ajax in the Champions League. Does that enhance their chances of bringing back the Champions League to, to Juventus? It certainly won't do any harm. I mean, obviously, they already have Chiellini and, and Bonucci, Bonucci, so it's going to be interesting to see how uh, three doesn't go into two. Um, one of them are, are not going to play. And I think that sort of the ascending, the, the, the journey that Juventus have been on, the eight consecutive Scudettos, a real superpower. That was, their, that was their plan, their goal for so long. We almost kind of feel that it's a matter of time before before they win the Champions League. Ronaldo was signed for that purpose and they they, they fell short. They spent another £140 million, pounds, I think, this summer. And certainly they're, they're going to be stronger, particularly with the addition of, of, of De Ligt. So, yeah, I mean, they, they're just one of half a dozen eight teams that you, you think are going, to be, are going to be in the mix. And, it's, mm. and once we see the, the, sort of the games unfurl, then it's, um, it's going to be easier to call who's going to be the winner. Well, Bundesliga teams didn't do that well last season in the Champions League. It, and there is a, a change at Bayern Munich. Uh, the old guard have uh, gone, Ribery and, and Robin and uh, Mats Hummels as well. They have brought in uh, Lucas Hernandez as well as Benjamin Pavard uh, as well. So they have strengthened Bayern Munich. Could they really compete this time around? 
Well, they're suffering the same problems that the German national team has suffered from. And I do think their sort of fortunes tend to mirror each other, which <laughs> is that they had looked for so long like the perfect unit with players to admire all over the pitch. Uh, massive Mats Hummels fan. I just, I just, one of those defenders, you doesn't even have to move and you know he's going to get there. They, they, they had that. And then there's suddenly there's this massive crisis of confidence. That they, there's this massive panic. Oh, they're all too old. And... I don't know. I do feel that a club should... They do know players' age. I mean, it's not a surprise. <laughs> it just seems a bit odd that you wake up one day and think, oh, they're all too old. We need a massive clear-out. I think they could have managed the way... The ins and outs better. Players of undoubted quality like Hummels, there's surely got to be a way of easing through that transition rather than it being like it was for the German national team. We can't have old people anymore. I don't know, it just seems a bit sort of odd. So I sort of hope, anyway, a long-winded way of saying, I sort of hope they don't do well, because I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. It's like, it's like a dystopic fantasy. But isn't that how so you many reach clubs a certain are doing, doing no, it No, I think some clubs can handle it better than that. It okay. just seems a bit... It's just the way they handled it you don't like. It's like it's a shock that... I don't know. Yeah. It's not a You're shock, quite right. Is it? They they should know their birthday. So <laughs> you'd have thought that would be an obvious one. We, um I think we all we all remember Pavard from that goal he scored in the in, in the World Cup. And and indeed the general you know, his general performances across the, the World Cup that France won were were really excellent. But I think that transfer is not maybe um not maybe quite as exciting as maybe it would have been twelve months ago. I think Stuttgart had a really had quite a torrid season last year. And so I think it's maybe not, not quite the acquisition that it might have seemed off the back of that World Cup, where, of course, he played right back and, and not and not centre-back. Oh, well, we have got an exciting season to look forward to, that is for sure. Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Alison Rudd and James Gearbram. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. And we'll be back on Monday as we welcome in the new Premier League season. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.